Come and visit the photography show at the Birmingham NEC between the 14th and 17th of March. With over 300 brands exhibiting their products and services, new product launches and hands-on demos with over 270 talks and classes over the four days and over 30,000 like-minded photo and video attendees to meet and connect with, you have everything you need to capture a fresh perspective and improve your skills, whether you're an absolute beginner or a seasoned professional. Come and get inspired at the photography show. Tickets available from photographyshow.com and you can use code CLAYDEWTPS20, that's C-L-A-Y-D-E-W-T-P-S-20, to get 20% off advanced standard single day tickets only. See terms and conditions on the show notes. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Jamie Anderson and you're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Stand by for action. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glenn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome back to another episode of He Shoots, He Draws, episode 102. <laughs> we're, we're into January. Uh, thanks for joining us last week. Uh, it was a Glenn and Dave episode. We were talking about business and, and we've had some good feedback from that. So hopefully everything, everyone's got their plans all sorted, ready to get yes. going this year. As mentioned last week, we've got an interview this week. I'm looking forward to This um, is the first time now yeah. I've listened to <laughs> I can't wait to listen to this. <laughs> I love these ones where one of us records and the other one hasn't heard yeah. it. But um, as we said last week, and you'll see from the graphic and you'll have heard at the intro at the beginning of the show, we've got a gentleman by the name of Jamie Anderson. And Jamie is Jerry Anderson's son. And Jerry Anderson is the guy that invented Thunderbirds. Mm. Uh, not not the US uh, Red Arrows version. <laughs> uh, this was a TV show in the 60s called Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet. And so Jamie now runs the Anderson Empire. He runs Anderson Entertainment. He's responsible for everything. I've been trying to get Jamie for a little while. I listened to his podcast, uh, which is the Jerry Anderson uh, podcast, and they talk about all things Jerry Anderson and shows. And it's really good. Him and Richard do it. And I just reached out as normal, me doing what I do. You know, Jerry Anderson shows were a big, big factor in me becoming a graphic designer. I'd love to talk to you about the design side of, of the past and the present and what you do. And he very kindly came back and said, yes. Brilliant. So this is the result of that conversation it's on for an hour so i'm not going to waffle now we're just going to go straight into yeah let's go straight into it because i want to listen to this i don't want to listen to you so uh <laughs> so let me uh i'm gonna i'm gonna hand the baton over to thank you, you much, uh sir. dave so away you go so thank you very much well jamie who are you hello dave well uh, I'm Jamie Anderson. I am the CEO of Anderson Entertainment. And uh, you might not know me, but your listeners are more likely to know my late father, Jerry Anderson, who was the creator of Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, Stingray, Fireball XL5, Space 1999, UFO, and I could go on, but we'll go on later, shall we? Yeah, we shall. That's that's not a bad legacy to, t- to take on. No pressure there, eh? Uh, yeah, no big shoes, but a pretty cool CV. Absolutely, yeah. So for those of you... Um, our American friends who may not immediately know what Jamie's kind of in charge of and, and his background. 
uh, there, when I was growing up, and I've mentioned it on some podcasts, there were TV shows like Captain Scarlet Thunderbirds. Um, they were mostly Super Marionation shows that are timeless, I think. Um, 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 a, a UK generation grew up with them. And I have spoken to some American friends, and they do remember Thunderbirds. That it seems mm. to have travelled over there. But I've kind of been listening to your podcast and sort of listening to you talking about it and I was doing some background work and and I said to Glenn I really want to talk to Jamie because <laughs> he now runs kind of the, the Anderson I, I, I was joking said the Anderson Empire but I kind of what it is because I think that is a big responsibility and it 50 odd years on you know it's still it's still popular so what's your role in what you're doing today <laughs> you can be you can big it up and make it sound better than it is <laughs> <laughs> well no it, it is it's very cool and uh i'm very lucky to do it i mean i've been called uh the torch bearer the keeper of the flame uh <laughs> and various other names but uh, basically i mean dad uh and his approach to to his shows i mean he created 18 series and four feature films in his career um all sorts of adverts and bits and pieces but for him it was very much uh, one show get it out there that's done on to the next and although he was one of the first people in i think entertainment globally to use his name as a brand it wasn't a conscious choice it was uh, it, it, you know brand didn't really exist then so just sticking a jerry anson production above the, the titles was that move but beyond that, he never really kind of brought it all together. The shows are owned by various copyright holders. Um, uh, it's it's uh, well, it was a right nightmare initially when I thought, right, what I really want to do is bring this all together into the Andiverse. And then the whole idea really is to to promote the legacy. To there's 800 episodes of of stuff there for wow. people to to find all over again or to find for the first time people love a bit of nostalgia and revisiting stuff but there are still kids now who will go and re, you know watch stingray for the first time uh and that that's amazing so trying to engage new audiences in the legacy stuff to keep the legacy alive amongst those who've already enjoyed it and then to build on it for the future because he left behind loads of unfinished ideas too it's 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 massive when I say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of an empire, really. It is if you look back at the body of work and you look at the responsibility of that, like you say, it's it, it's kind of one of those products of its time that keeps being sold by people like us. I mean, mm. I, and my generation are, are sort of your best salesman because we're telling our kids, oh, you should watch this, you should watch Thunderbirds, you should watch Captain Scarlet. I mean, I found Captain Scarlet terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but that torch, where if you shine a torch across a wall, uh, through a room, <laughs> that used to, when I was a kid, that used to scare the crap out of me. It wasn't just you. I, I'm sure there's a story, I think Francis Matthews, who voiced Scarlet, said that they took maybe his niece and nephew or something like that in to see the first episode. Uh, and the, the minute the Mr. On spoke, they screamed and ran out crying. Uh, and the production team was just thinking, what have we done? You know, is this, is it too much? But they also knew that, you know, kids like to be scared in a controlled way. So, oh yeah. Was, if you yeah, look back so, at most of the kids, I was talking to someone the other day about this. If you look back at some of the kids shows from back then, they were quite terrifying. Mm, well, 
Zelda from Terror Hawks. Yeah. She she caught she created an entire generation of bedwetters. So <laughs> And that was the eighties. You go back further, it gets even weirder. True, yeah. I I used to hate uh, we will we'll go through the shows, but it's like, I just wanted this to be a chat with you because uh I remember UFO. Um mm. There was something about those space helmets full of washing up liquid <laughs> that used to make me anxious because I was thinking, how can you breathe? With a, and to me it was, but it was a helmet full of washing up liquid. <laughs> I mean, it's supposed, it's supposed to be like, a you know, uh, uh, it's beyond light speed protectant breathing fluid. Yeah. I'm sure they wouldn't be so chuffed to hear you saying it was washing up liquid. <laughs> <laughs> but as a kid... <laughs> That that was what it was to me, and it was it was just those little things that it, you kind of love love about the shows, but at the same time mm. you lo- you love the, the terrified by them. But um, so going back to going back to what you were talking about, um, obviously you've you've got now this kind of brand stroke. Uh, I don't know what to call it. It, it, it. It's multiple branding all under one roof. And I know yourself, uh, Anderson, re, kind of rebranded to make your sell. I don't. I don't quite know how to use the words for this. It's you're a one-stop shop for everything, Anderson. But you're also developing new ideas, and you are developing new shows, and you are still yeah. rebranding and remarketing some of the older stuff. How's that? Like you said, how's that been with? Because I was reading and saw like various contracts were signed and various people owned stuff. How did you mm. pull all that together? Uh, with great difficulty. <laughs> it's, it sounds really weird, but no, but nobody, not one entity ever until we started doing it in 2013 had ever tried to pull all the shows together under one roof. Which it just it, it just seems like the natural thing to do for me. Um, but you know, it's kind of like imagining um, the Star Wars universe, where one company owns the first three movies, some other one elsewhere owns all the CG animated stuff, and it's and it's not all Star Wars in inverted commas. It's all kind of spread across different owners who have different approaches, and it still is. Uh, the Anderson stuff is still spread across different owners, but we're working with them to 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 make it feel like they all come from the same place because they do. Uh, and, and yeah, that, that just feels like a very natural thing to do that, but there's been a bit of resistance along the way. There's, there have been some, uh, contractual issues, some strings of uh, chain of title, which have been incomplete, which we've had to plug the gap for. And sometimes those discussions and stuff take years and, and a couple are still ongoing. Uh, so it it's really challenging but it seems really natural and also what i what i'd love to see now is people who grew up watching the supermarination shows and again i feel like for your american listeners supermarination is a meaningless word exactly it's what it's dad's version of puppetry it's it's the the term he coined for this advanced strung puppets of the 60s and they they were advanced and they still are quite um but you know people who've watched those shows maybe didn't realise that he also did Terrorhawks or he also did Space Precinct or he also did Space 1999, UFO or The Protectors. So it, it's cross-pollinating all those brands by having them all in the same place. Yeah, I'd forgotten he did The Protectors. and, and he actually made, He actually made one of my favourite sci-fi films. It wasn't until today I was looking through some of the bio to pick up, make sure I got all the shows, and I saw he did Doppelganger. 
Yes. And I love that film when it came out because <laughs> I was convinced it could happen. <laughs> the guy flies to the other side of the sun and there's a planet the mirror Earth, Earth. where mirror Earth and everything's in reverse and he's getting all confused. Like, what, what's going on? What's going on? But yeah, that to move from Super Mario Nation to live action as well, mm. it's it, it's funny how the live action stuff is kind of like the, some of the Disney films where that you try to blend from one to the other. And I know uh, Secret Service was... A kind of a mixture of live action and that, <laughs> that was a strange show to say the least uh, not not sure it was that successful but you know if you, if you look at the evolution of all those shows from the from the earliest puppet shows he was always trying to make them more human more able to do the things that humans can do there was a leap from the caricatured puppets of stingray and thunderbirds to the the human proportion puppets of scarlet and joe 90 and then, well, what do you do beyond that? You start blending puppetry and live action because that's your stepping stone. And I, I, it's probably a bit unfair, but there's part of me that thinks there was a subconscious thing going on for Dad where he was like, right, I'm fed up with these puppets. You know, how can I bring a, bring the Supermarination era to a close by doing this really quirky, weird thing about a puppet priest played by Stanley Unwin who, yeah. um, you <laughs> know, bamboozles yeah. crooks by talking nonsense and I'll mix it with live action. I mean, it, it's it's a crazy idea, but it's very sweet. It was very sweet, yeah. And going back to the early stuff, so for, for, so for the American audience, um, I'll quickly just go through some of the early Super Marination shows because you can go and Google them and look them up and on YouTube and and. I'll put links in the show notes for, but we had soup. I know there was stuff pre supercar, but I'm kind of going mm. my era that I remember. Yeah. I, I, I think I missed supercar, um, which obviously was the precursor for Elon Musk and the Tesla, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a big space 1999 fan. Is I know he? Get there, ah, yeah. right. Um, then Fireball XL5 was probably the first one I kind of have a memory of just yep. because again, it's uh, it's another it was a, a vehicle and cool stuff going on. Um, then we had Stingray, then Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, Joe 90. Um, in fact, one of the things I found with Joe 90 today that's completely unrelated to anything, but I just thought it was <laughs> cool that uh, John McClane in Die Hard and Joe 90 was Joe McClane. That I just, they almost, <laughs> they almost shared the same surname, but both cool. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of, yeah, I, I kind of got through those. Uh, as a kid and and when you think back to this this is another conversation i've had with like the younger generation where it's all netflix and you know amazon prime and now disney plus is we watch this weekly you know Mm. i think the amount of shows i consumed as a kid i don't know how i did it because we had three channels it was on i don't remember when it was on i just remember when it was on we watched it and and that kind of absorb I absorbed all that as a kid, and that's what I I credit as making me a designer, because I used to watch all of that. Then I was watching Man from Uncle, Time Tunnel, Land of the Giants, you know, the Irwin stuff, uh, the, the the puppetry stuff. I I my my mum obviously sat me in front of the TV <laughs> forever because I just have such fond memories of the shows. But I have a really overbearing memory of the branding of the you know the the colors and you know i would say Mm. watch thunderbirds you know look at the the branding of the ships you you could identify a ship just from looking at a tiny little bit of it yeah Uh, you'd know thunderbird 2 you know thunderbird 4 thunderbird 1 just a tiny little bit you knew it and then you had the the uniforms and the sashes i know it's before your time 
but I'm really fascinated by although you're branding the package today mm. do you know much about where because you know I know like Derek Meddins uh, was it Reg Hill yeah was another guy obviously that your mum and your dad and the people in the team but when I look back there's all these really iconic logos and identities to the shows <laughs> and you know uh, to the organizations they belong to do you know much about where that side of it came from or was it just hey you just do me a logo for this thing called Thunderbirds <laughs> and some guy stacks some letters up and because it looks very specifically designed oh yeah they, they do don't they but I mean is that is that through sort of uh, hindsight lenses that we're viewing it and then going oh well you know that that logo that stood the test of time or is it because you know the show itself has become iconic and it's become ingrained probably uh, yeah yeah so I mean and I'm sure then weirdly that despite the fact that it wasn't necessarily approached as this has to be an instantly recognizable brand across the world because they weren't necessarily thinking about that certainly not in supercar and fiber xl5 days um it just it became it quite naturally so I I mean I don't know the specifics of who designed what logos they you know they didn't have I don't think an in-house logo designer uh you know there was nobody workshopping the brand for many months before each show was released um I've not even really seen iterations of of logos um I think certainly in the early days, Reg Hill was responsible for quite a lot of the design work. Um, and I think when they took the Fireball XL5 pitch uh, deck or the pitch book to, to Lou Grade, um, it was going to be called Century 21. And there is a, uh, a nice bit of art, which I think ended up being used in TV 21, the comic maybe, with uh, Fireball XL5 with blue tipped wings but it was called Century 21. And so, you know, lo- logos would come from places like that. Um, I mean, th- if you if you take the Thunderbirds logo, Dave, and deconstruct that, I mean, that's really a sort of, you know, uh, Western movie f- uh, font, isn't yeah. it, in a lot of ways. It, it's, it's, not, it's not sci-fi, it's not family, it's not kids. And yet that, that logo and that, that, that stepping and the, the sort of angled stuff they kept doing seem to stick uh so yeah i mean i there's there's some great um uh kind of portfolio work that reg hill did i think again for the thunderbirds argo movie where they just got these great stripes of bold color behind the logo and things like that were were his idea as far as i'm aware um but no i I, you know a a brand a logo now versus the a, a logo then and the work that went into it and the concept and thought behind it i think they've just like this will look cool <laughs> yeah. i really like that great i just do love the thought that because i love old packaging i love old american packaging and branding and and the conversations i've had with designers where they've gone yeah there used to be a building that had maybe six people in there and there'd be oh we're bringing out a drink just make me a little character and there's all this great design out there that no one's been credited for but obviously it's become iconic because we've seen it over and over and over again that we think it's super cool and people try and recreate it i mean i used to love the uh, intro where it had the arrow that the spike used to come the century 21 yeah 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 yeah. and and that that was just something that you know some point someone's gone well we need a logo for this and we need a logo for that but the strength, I mean, I'm sure a designer today, because I call myself a graphic designer, 
but some can be very pretentious and very <laughs> <laughs> they can nah. get very can get very precious about logo work and they'd probably pick thunderbirds apart and all the others but mm. i think this is this is what we talk about is back then it was fit for purpose it did a job we need we need something for that we need something for that it's got to be this color i just love that each show is kind of so i each like has its own identity mm, that even if it so. was a happy accident it's it was genius repeated yeah. happy accidents exactly <laughs> serendipity across the board yeah but no, it, it's, I, it's amazing I, I i don't i don't wish we could individually credit each each kind of genius artist uh, who'd, who'd come up with all those uh, and even you know ch- chosen typefaces and stuff e- even that weird western type uh typeface for thunderbirds it it just it just works nothing ever popped up in the archives just books books or sketches or well they the thing is that a lot they they kept so little because again we you know we're talking about you know, oh, Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds turns fifty-five this year, and we're wow. still talking about it. They they were making it for like you know, it'll be shown once, and then maybe it'll get a couple of repeats for a few years. That's it. No home media, no repeats on TV, no multiple channels, no, nothing like that. And so there was no real concept of it. So they weren't thinking, oh, we must keep an archive of all this stuff uh, for for future generations to enjoy and look at the amazing work we did. It what all of them, if you interview them. Anyone who worked on the shows, they all say, you know, we loved it, but it was just a job. It was yeah. just another job. So in terms of what is still available in archive form, yeah, some of the puppets were rescued from going to... Uh, I know they ended up to, in a skip and getting smashed to up, they? Yeah, God. yeah. Some, Peter Jackson in Mr. Lord of the Rings has got the biggest collection of, of Super Mario Nation puppets, I think, in the world. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a big collector. He's got he's got a fantastic Anderson collection. I think he's actually got the puppet scale Fab One Rolls Royce, uh, the only one that was ever built. Um, and he's got a load of Doctor Who stuff there. He should open open a museum, really, in yeah, uh, in New absolutely. Zealand. But no, in terms of paperwork and stuff, very little around. That's weird. When, whenever you get that question, if, if you could go back in time, what would you go? And people go, oh, I'll go back to this. I'd be like, no, I'm going back to the day before they binned all the Thunderbird stuff. <laughs> and I'd be like, guys, trust me on this. <laughs> Put them in boxes and stick them in a lockup. <laughs> this will be worth a mint. Because it, oh, it pains me when I when I read stories about some of my you know favourite shows that I loved. Mm. And you're right. It was just, uh, you know, Lou Grade Commission's you can you can make eight more episodes um you want you know you want that budget well i'll give you this much money go ahead and make them okay i'm bored with that i want you to tell me your next idea oh we're going to do this new thing and it's a man who's indestructible and but you know all those outfits everything if that was all being done today i mean like you say it there would be multiple teams of chin stroking trilby hat wearing <laughs> designers in a big room <laughs> analyzing it to death and not actually coming up with anything which <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's re- it's really hard to try and deconstruct the thought behind something when you're trying to retroactively apply you know uh, a, a completely different way of thinking about brand and identity and aesthetics that we have have now so I think it's it's possible to read too much into them and and try and put too much creative thought behind them. Uh, and with so many of the elements, I think it 
it's it for me it kind of taps into one of the reasons that those shows have become so timeless it's because they weren't trying to hit certain notes they weren't trying to you know retroactively please certain audiences they weren't trying to nail it down to a narrow demographic mm. it was it was a bunch of artists and creators who loved technology they loved science and science fiction they loved the potential for what humans could do and they love creating entertainment and they kind of always did stuff to please themselves you know they weren't relying on focus groups they weren't doing anything like that i mean can you imagine if that thunderbirds logo went out to focus groups now they'd be torn to shreds and it would be end up kind of <laughs> bland they'd get rid of the stepping uh i don't know it, it it's it was just a very different time but i think it's that love and and truth to uh, the, the truth behind the reasons they made those creative decisions, the reason those things have become timeless. Yeah, uncomplicated. They just are what they are, yeah. and people love them. So you obviously creating new content. I'm going to jump around on this because I keep thinking of things. But jump as much as you like. On some of the newer content you've been doing over like the past, mm. te- say, 10, 10 to 15 years, or well, you've been in charge since 2013. 2013, so, so over, even over the last seven years, you're creating new shows um and you're creating new content have you had to go through that awkward process of you know design-led committee and i there's a (laughs) saying someone said to me once if a committee designed a horse it'd look like a camel yes yeah that's it yeah different people design different bits how have you found it since you've been in charge trying to sort of brand new stuff but keep it in the style of what people expect to see like old, old men like us (laughs) <laughs> or me, Old, should I say? Barely middle-aged, Dave. Come on. Uh, no, I mean, uh, it, there were. Dad had two, I suppose three, but for the, for the sake of simplicity, two distinct phases in his production career. There's the Lou Grade phase when he he had a patron behind him in Lou Grade, and uh, Lou famously said, "If you want to make a show about that light bulb, Jerry, I will back you." Uh, because Dad was worried about, you know, if Lou would like it, whatever. But Lou completely believed in his creative ability and just said, "Off you go." Yes, that's fine. Um, except for the Secret Service, where he cancelled it. But yeah. you know, I think Lou might possibly have been right on that one. It's it's close, but but then when the the creative partnership or the uh, the um, the supportive partnership with Lou Grade ended, Dad was then thrown into the more the more modern, shall we say, way of of getting TV shows made, um, and that has been changing and evolving since the the mid late eighties. Really, uh, it, it very much used to be the case that if somebody high powered a, a, a network, a broadcaster, whatever, liked what you were doing, they they had the power and they had the the bravery, I guess, um, and the uh, kind of the 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 ability to make that executive decision just to say yes love it let's do it over to you that has changed a lot with um, advertising and uh, demographics and kind of corporate hierarchy and all that kind of stuff so now you don't really get that freedom of creative choice I think more so now with companies like Netflix Mm. where they are are starting to say to creators yeah we're, we're behind you they might have final say on a few bits and pieces, but otherwise the creators get a lot of, of choice. Like, I guess, uh, the Irishman, the Scorsese picture being so long and it was rejected by all sorts of people. And, you know, they, they, they are the exception, though. And, and Dad fell into that place where he was constantly being asked to make creative 
changes based on the whims of people who maybe were not at the best place to make those those right. calls. Certainly, I think um, Space Precinct for him in the 90s was one of those shows that fell victim to that. They had an American distributor on board who had some very fixed ideas about the style and the tone of the show. And what you ended up with was something that sort of awkwardly sat in the middle, feeling a bit like it really wanted to go towards Blade Runner, but it sort of kept going the other way and becoming almost a bit kind of family not quite sitcom but it was it 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 was odd um, trying to please everybody yeah and and, and pleasing uh, nobody exactly and Daz, one of Daz's things was always please yourself with what you're doing creatively that always please yourself was his kind of motto so now i've got the kind of backdrop of the industry being that way which is you know there are a lot of layers to get through people are worried about making decisions which is very, very difficult because obviously, you know, they've got their own uh, life and uh, career to think of and people don't want to lose their jobs over making the wrong decision. And mm. creative decisions are really tough, aren't they? Because oh. you, you, you can research it as much as you like. You can focus group it if you want. You, know, you can get advice from people. But at the end of the day, you, it's, you just got to go with your, your gut feeling. Yeah, you've got to but start if, somewhere. Yeah, but if you're not able to go with that gut feeling then it, everything starts to to blur a bit. So in terms of sticking to creative vision, that is definitely a tough one because that slows the process down. But everything we're doing, to me, it has to feel like a natural extension of the legacy. Yeah. If it doesn't feel like something that, that dad would have said, would have had a hand in or or come up with, then, you know, what it's, it's not Anderson. So why are we doing it under the Anderson brand? Exactly. Um, but then equally, you've got you've got two schools of people making the decisions as to whether stuff gets made or not. You get those who know and love the old shows, and so they, they kind of want to drag it towards being more like the old ones. And then you've got the other side, maybe execs who didn't actually see Thunderbirds when it was rerun in the 90s because they're slightly too young for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so to them, all, the heritage side means nothing. So it's it's finding that stuff in the middle where you you've got enough of the heart and the des- and the design elements to to a degree that it's pulling together all the best of those shows and and the history, but without sim- simply going oh well it's old so we put it on a pedestal up here and we must keep it exactly that way you know that it, it um I, I was listening to Bob Iger Mr Disney talking and it's the difference between reverence and respect okay and if you if 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 stuff is revered then you're too frightened to touch it and change it and stuff but if you respect it and you you understand why it's become timeless why it lasts so long and why people love it then you can use that as the core yeah it Um, can evolve and have a bit of breathing space so people still identify it but they understand like what like when you when thunderbirds was rebranded um and it became that cartoon and it was, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, that's that's an ITV production. I, sh- I must put, you know, hold my hand up and say that we had nothing to do with that. But you can see that their aim there is to have respect for the original, but but to let it breathe and evolve. And it has very much done. And, and they did. I mean, they did a lot of focus group type research with uh, child audience and all sorts of stuff in the US, UK, and Japan because Thunderbirds is massive in Japan. Oh, right. um, uh, and they they took a lot of 
note notes of what those you know kind of five to eight year old audiences were saying about the original i think possibly that's where you start if you're relying on that child audience too much then you end up eroding into the the core so it's just it's just so difficult and there is absolutely no right answer but yeah you're absolutely right that 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 show has evolved and changed quite a lot from the original while still having a lot of the core elements there yeah and i love that i mean i watched the film as well and i thought you know it's it's funny (laughs) when you take something that you you like love and revere and put on a pedestal and then like the film comes out and everyone wants to pick fault in it and then you've got the cartoon. I think Captain Scarlet also went animated as well, didn't it? Yeah, so Dad Dad did a CGI version in 2005. So, I mean, he was he was updating and changing and moving with technology. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I, you know, my no. the newer generation can love it and then go back and purchase all the DVDs off, off your website to watch all the older stuff. <laughs> well, that's that's exactly it, but that's the whole thing of putting it under one roof so they, they know where it's come from. And again, for like, you know, whether it's a Star Wars example or Star Trek or anything else or, you know, Marvel, DC, you can take take all that new stuff, present it for a new audience and then if they, if they love it enough, they'll naturally go back and seek out the stuff from the past and then that keeps that alive. I was going to say, you look at the Star Wars crowd... And, you know, I grew up watching Star Trek and that was another one where, you know, there's colour, you know, the uniforms, the branding. Mm. I always wanted to do someone to make a sitcom or like a little comedy series of one of those huge brands like Star Wars or Star Trek. But it was set in the design, the marketing office for, for Starfleet Command. <laughs> or, and that there would be this group of people and their job was to design this stuff. But it was, you know, we're going, up a, we're going to war with the Klingons. We need a strong brand here. We need... Yeah. <laughs> and that there would be this like comedy show of the people who's responsible it was to make the badges and the logos. Because that's the bit I always see. Yeah, of course. Well, it, would, it wouldn't be far off. The reality, though, would it, the way people sort of talk yeah, and think about like those take, things. Take today's thing. And a lot of this sci-fi, I mean, someone pointed out the other day, Blade Runner is now a, a historical film. Blade yeah. Runner is no longer set in the future. And when you look back at these shows, when they went back in the 60s, what they, what your dad thought would be around in the 21st century, and you look at, you know, UFO and Space 1999, you, Space 1999, I mean, 20 years ago. Yeah. 21 well, years ago. UFO set 40 years ago yeah so, i mean crazy. it's crazy even joe 90s in the past now oh, no. i know <laughs> so, so just quickly touching on on that branding side one of the things i was, I was thinking there was you do you find you get a lot of comment about people being precious about the brand like people like me do you get like the points of view letter? Dear Jamie, I recently saw, you know, such and such, and I don't feel, <laughs> do, you, do you get a lot of that kind of start, what I call Star Wars fandom, where people do take exception to some of the stuff they see now? Is it still, are those people still out there? Surprisingly little, actually, I have to say. Um, I I get the occasionally strongly worded uh, email <laughs> Uh, but it normally, you know, it, they always come from a place of of absolutely loving the the show. They're passionate about it, and yeah. they feel like you've done it a disservice for some reason. Now, I have to say, over the last three or four years, we've been pretty careful about how we design and brand and talk about stuff 
from the Jerry Anderson universe. But also one of the benefits of bringing it all together is you've got design elements from 18 different shows and four feature films, mm. plus the newer stuff that we've done. So you're actually drawing from a bigger creative pool, which maybe makes things easier. Um, but I mean, we, we've had examples in the past where we've worked, say, because ITV own the uh, the IP for most of the shows from 1959 to 75. Okay. So we, we, if we're doing product, for example, we have to work with them. And quite often we have had discussions about whether certain designs should feel like they come from inside the universe or whether it's a, 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 a design with the Thunderbirds logo. And we, we tend to find actually that people prefer a kind of in-universe. In it's an immersive thing. You know, if, if, if you are a fan of something, you like to think about the inside and the workings of that world. If you are more of a casual viewer, you might like the, the branding or a character or whatever. So a lot of the stuff that we produce and the stuff that we do is set kind of inside the universe as an yeah, immersive yeah. experience. And so those things have got to feel authentic. They've got to have that level of retro futurism, That's which feels thing. appropriate. Re retro, I mean, retro sales. I mean, I, I when I get the emails through from you, it's like what I have to do to stop myself. Like, oh, cool pin badge. Um, oh, I don't just want Thunderbird. To, I want all of them. Or a like, nice T-shirt. And that that retro element, I, I think, just seems. To, I mean, I don't know if it's because everything's merchandise. And if something I was going to get onto was was the merchandise side mm. is retro sales. I mean, I see it in the football world that a lot of teams are going back to old kits, back from yeah. you know seventies and eighties kits. We seem to like go looking looking back at that cool stuff when design was simple um and yeah i, I mean i'll send an email through every single time there's something i want to buy i mean ended up buying pat <laughs> patches and pin badges of the a so we were I'm talking off air ab about the um when you redesigned for the a i mean how was that process because you're obviously creating a, a logo for everything yeah, um, I, so I have to give credit where credit's due here. So we worked with a designer called Dave Lowe, uh, who I was introduced to. And, and actually, right up front, all this whole idea of, of presenting a, a, the kind of the Andiverse and this uh, entire pool of, of Jerry Anderson work was still quite embryonic in my mind. And when I was chatting to Dave... He said, you know, what what about the identity for the whole thing? And, and at the time, we had a, a logo that um, had been designed by Mark Harris, who is the production designer on the first of the new, the most recent Star Wars trilogy. Okay. And who worked with Dad on and off from Terrorhawks days onwards. Um, so he, he'd done this kind of slanted gold Anderson Entertainment logo. And I said to Dave, well, that, well that's, that'll, that'll do for now. And he said, well, would you mind if I had a go, you know, uh, looking at some some uh, an identity? Um, and at the time, I had no idea what he was thinking, really. And he came back with a sheet of maybe eight or ten treatments mm. of just purely of the letter A. Uh, and instantly I was like, oh, right. Now I, I get this now. And he'd put in elements like, you know, the the... The rocket the, and the well, the rocket, which is kind of reminiscent of Thunderbird three, but also Fireball XL five, the stars for space, 
planets. Um, the the red, which is probably the most kind of Thunderbirds red, but is also a red you'd associate with Captain Scarlet. Um, and even kind of the detailing on the eagles in Space 1999, you know, it, it's it's that kind of um, fuselage red that you would see in sci-fi of the 60s and 70s. Yes, and it, yeah. And it, yeah, I and mean, we went through various iterations, but it, it, from the minute they arrived, I was like, oh, actually they are... That, that's it. He's, he's kind of captured it. Um, so we, we worked on that for a little while and eventually came up with that uh, specific red A in the uh, Futura font because, you know, Futura, I think extra bold is the, the number font for Thunderbirds. Um, it's it's all over the place. Love Futura. It's great Yeah, font. well, yeah, who does? <laughs> I mean, Futura and Eurostyle and a, a couple of others, which, which were all over the place in Anderson stuff uh, and, well, sci-fi stuff in the 60s and 70s Euros, generally. Yeah, Eurostyle was on everything. Yeah, yeah, but you know, j- just simple things like like picking that. It felt like it fitted in with every single show, pretty much. So uh, yeah, so big credit to Dave Lowe for that. Yeah, I think it works. I mean, I I bought so I bought a couple of patches and a pin badge, and it was just like, oh, it's so simple, but it's got the elements in, and and then it start, I started to think, wow, you know, coming up with a logo for that encompasses everything could have mm. been an absolute nightmare for you <laughs> <laughs> because because as as usual with with graphic designers and I, and I say this to other people is if you'd gone out there and said hey we need a logo for the anderson uh to, to encompass the the anderverse yeah uh we'd like you to come up and we'll pick the best one the the design world will go no don't you dare crowdsource work and get all us designers to design this for free and you just pick the best one and you'll probably you'll probably give a free you know thunderbirds badge and a 50 pound little chef voucher which is what a lot of them do but what always gets me what makes me laugh so much and i said i mentioned this the other day on an episode is designers will go up in arms if you've done that Mm. then you bring that a out and I guarantee a hundred designers would have gone, well, I don't like that. This is what I'd have done better. It's like, <laughs> you just you just did it, but in reverse. You just spent all that time going, well, I'd have done this. So I, as a graphic designer, it's it's subjective. It's, you know, I would say Absolutely. things got to be fit for purpose. Does it do the job? It, no one's going to die from, a, from a, a logo that's quite a little bit off. No. But, but there are, you know, you're lucky you're not Star Trek, Star Wars, that world but yeah it's the brand still got a big responsibility and, yeah. and the, the other thing i wanted to ask you about was um the, something i was reading in the super marionation book was the merchandise back in the 60s i mean mm. i read i read some stuff about star wars how there's a show on netflix called the toys that made us yeah lovely show i yeah. can't wait for them to do an anderson episode they better do it at some point surely. oh they have to they have to I'll, I'll, come on straight, netflix straight after this i'll be emailing them <laughs> and it will get it to happen but i love some of the history of that and when you look at the contracts that were signed back then before merchandising was a thing yeah there there was a lot of stuff for those shows that i remember mm. when i was a kid and i know there's a collectible market for it and they were huge a huge and and every time you keep seeing all this stuff i mean it must have been an absolute nightmare back then to keep track mm. of it because it was you know confectionery it was toys it was books i'm not i mean i've got a lot of i'm a book collector i'm a design book collector and i have got mm. a lot of things from when i was a kid i kept not not to the point that i'm a hoarder but i keep finding bits and pieces i found this the other day in a box it was the action it was issue volume one number one of action 21 comic july 20, 
July 2088. Nice. So from 1988 then, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, well, that must have been... Is it? Is it got a print, like a publication thing like Engale Marketing or something like that, was it's, it? Um, i trying to look. Litham Road, Blackpool. Yeah, Thunderbooks. Thunderbirds. Yeah, th- that's it, Thunderbooks, yeah. Yeah, so that's David Nightingale, who that's was very, very yeah, proactive in the in the 80s and 90s. Um, and he had Thunderbooks up in, in Blackpool. Um, many happy hours spent there. Um, mostly going through their Doctor Who stuff, to be fair, but let's oh, not really? talk about that too much. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that, but that, that even that comic that you've got there, it's great to talk about in a podcast, the way a comic looks. Uh, oh, yeah, but, absolutely. But yeah. It's, got the vi- it's got the vibe of TV21, oh. Century 21, um, yeah. So it, it it is a visual language which is all of its very own and is quite identifiable and relatively easy to replicate. Not necessarily replicate perfectly or or do it just right, but it, you can you can evoke the feeling and the nostalgia of that era quite easily with a few touches and color yeah. choices. And you had the comics as well. I love the comics, and I've got a couple of the books that have got the comic strips, and they were very reminiscent of like mm. Tri- I think it was Trigon Empire and Dan there had yeah. that painterly amazing artwork. Yeah, I mean, beautiful stuff. I mean, uh, Frank Bellamy, Mike Noble, and Co. Who did did just amazing, amazing artwork. It's, just, it's so detailed and beautiful. You don't really get anything like it now. All the, the sort of hand drawn, you know, line and wash stuff. It just, yeah, stunning. I, I I could never get into like this new style with a where to me a comic had blocks and i followed the story through the blocks and mm. that's what i loved about it nowadays they're kind of over six pages is one graphic <laughs> but, but that old stuff that merchandise side of it it is another thing that i loved but just purely mm. because again you know all this stuff was commissioned and kids were kids were getting it as christmas presents and the fact that it's so well loved do mm. you i mean are you seeing a demand for stuff like that like can you because when I was a kid, if you had a Thunderbird two, and you didn't lose Thunderbird four, and not and didn't break <laughs> the legs on the yeah. damn thing from tre- your dad <clears throat> treading on it, um, that was like the the best for me, best ship ever. You know, that's oh, yeah. just such an iconic thing. And, and I'm a no Star Trek fan, and Star Enterprise is just behind it, but such an iconic thing. And I think mm. someone did an article said it would never fly, <laughs> but it's like. <laughs> Don't kill it. Of course, it, it was I'm never. Sure it was never they... meant to launch off a off a pad next to a swimming pool. Just. Go. <laughs> I'm sure that someone from like the National Physics Laboratory or something like that wrote to Century Twenty One in the sixties and said that they they worked out that it it couldn't fly except if you made a couple of adjustments right. uh, to the lifting body and to the wings and certain other bits and pieces, and there there was a way of making it fly. Um, but I mean that 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 entire merchandising empire, I I don't think there was anything like it before that time in the early sixties. They they were they were absolutely pioneering licensing and merchandising, and that's all down really to one of Dad's business partners called Keith Shackleton, who uh, I think he sadly passed away last year. Um, very smart man who also later got involved with Star Wars and Power Rangers and all sorts of bits oh, wow. and pieces. But as far as I know. They sold the broadcast rights to the States for Supercar. Keith went out to talk to the broadcaster and they had sub-licensed merchandising rights, which weren't technically within the deal, the realms of the deal. And, and Keith suddenly went, oh, hang on. There's, there's spin-off rights connected with these things. So rather than slap their wrists and say, oh, no, you don't, 
he very cleverly negotiated a deal with the network for them to pay a royalty on on merchandising rights in addition to the the money they'd paid for the broadcast rights but he also took back with him sub-licensed merchandising rights for some other shows that were going out in, at the same time or due to be out in the US so he he came back and said right i've learned all this stuff in the states you know here's my idea we set up century 21 merchandising as a separate as a separate entity we do licensing we do it globally you know um they came up with the idea to put the tv21 comic together and then very smart thinking well we've got this amazing readership of hundreds of thousands of kids every week why don't we start introducing the next series in the comic before it's out on tv so we're sort of teasing it and preparing them for it and it it just became enormous i think tv21 itself had a circulation of a million copies a week at its peak in the mid 60s um and they they were something like 2,000 lines of merchandise produced under license from Century 21 merchandising throughout the 1960s. Well, that's incredible for, its, for that time. Yeah. yeah. So they, they, were, they were miles ahead. Uh, and so then you've created all these bits and pieces which are still, you know, people want now. So they've, they've created a secondary market value by doing that. Yeah. And then it's sort of seen as a valuable licensing piece in its own right. So it's, yeah, uh, absolutely amazing. I mean, up on my shelf, which is just out of sight, I've got um, a UFO, Dinky and Scepter. Yeah, Scarlet sat there um, pointing a gun at someone. I've got a couple (laughs) of Thunderbird 2s. I've got a a Dinky um, Captain Scarlet SPV. But they're they're lovely, beautiful little toys. Oh, they are. They're also not the kind of disposable, more junky toys which you can get now. Everything was you know solid metal metal yeah yeah it really they really meant it and i've in fact i've just spotted <laughs> you won't believe me but i've got my ufo interceptor up there but it's got no missile i've literally just spotted down the, the side of a book the missile which i oh, lost <laughs> so they go that must be a thing that loads of kids from the, the the 70s will remember is losing their ufo missile under the washing machine under the fridge the dog chewing it up whatever yeah I know it was always Thunderbird 4. So where's that little bugger gone? Yeah, it was very <laughs> little, small and light. But it was over. yellow. At least you could spot it. And I know uh, <laughs> the, the ship from Space 1999 was almost as indestructible as Captain Scarlet because that thing, my my um, my mother-in-law, and she, they've got a box of toys that the kids can always go around and play with. And they've mm. got an SPV, which is battered. Yep. And they've got a, a, the Space 1999 ship with the middle section missing that is kind of i say battered but it's still you know the, the kids don't even know where it comes from they love playing with it because they are just cool little metal toys that yeah everyone loves so cool we've been talking 50 minutes so i don't want to keep you too long the other thing i wanted to ask you about was um being jamie anderson and being one of the children growing up mm. were you you know that thing where if you're in it and you see it all the time you don't become mm. a fan of it and then you appreciate it as you get older yeah. were you like the when you went to school were you the coolest kid because because of your dad because of all the shows were you a collector did you love everything or were you kind of that oh don't need to hear not to disrespect anything your family's done but you know what i mean it's like kids well footballers whose kids don't want to play football and actors who (coughs) don't want to act 
Yeah. So, well, I always wanted to do what Dad was doing because it was it always seemed cool. For the first five years, he didn't have anything in active production and nothing was really being shown that much. So, you know, I was both too young and there was an absence of broadcast really going on. I, I mean, I, I think uh, Thunderbirds and Stingray and a couple of those may have been shown a bit broadcast in the late 80s, but it, nothing that touched on the radar for, for, for friends at school, certainly. Um, and in that time, 1989, I got a copy, a VHS copy of Day of the Daleks, um doctor who episode and fell in love with doctor who now alongside that on my video shelf was um a a multi-episode vhs of terror hawks um attack of the alligators thunderbirds episode a couple of captain scarlets uh, a couple of stingrays um and i would watch i watched all of them but i had no concept of dad being involved because you know you're five years old you don't know anything about how tv's made you don't think there's you know hundreds of people potentially who've made this thing <laughs> it just exists it's just a thing uh so i, I watched it and enjoyed it but uh, you know i was quite keen on doctor who which dad hated um, and then <laughs> uh early 90s the bbc do the deal to to bring back thunderbirds and start showing again and suddenly everything went crazy so my friends were all watching it at school uh, word spread that dad was the the creator I didn't even know what to say then you know I, he said I said what what are you on this thing and he was like oh yeah, the producer dad, what's your role in this <laughs> yeah well you don't know what I mean producer is a, is a semi-meaningless word anyway for most people it sort yeah. of can mean any any manner of things but word spread and suddenly <clears throat> there was an element of it being cool however my friend's parents found out <clears throat> And to them, it was really exciting. So they were bringing in TV21 annuals from 1967, giving them to their kids to give to me to take home to get signed. So that was kind of a bit weird. Um, so that that there was a, a peak of coolness and up to and including the kind of Tracy Island time and uh, Blue Peter doing the Tracy Island make and all that kind of stuff. And then, then the puppet walk started, Dave. Oh no! And, and people doing the puppet walks didn't stop until I was at university. Oh. All, almost every single day, somebody somewhere would do it. So it, that actually—it sounds a bit ridiculous—but that did slightly take off the shine of those of those puppet shows. But ninety-three, ninety-four, they got Space Precinct commissioned, and then I was at Pinewood Studios every single opportunity I could possibly get. I was sat between Christine Glanville, who was one of the lead sculpts and puppeteers on Thunderbirds. And Richard Gregory, who had created the 1980s Cybermen, uh, went oh, on wow. to do uh, Walking with Dinosaurs. He uh, built the Tumblr for Chris Nolan for The Dark Knight. I mean, he hadn't done it then, obviously, but he, you know, he was doing, had done and was doing amazing stuff. I was sat in the model shop between those two, making aliens, painting alien prosthetics, making guns, models. I mean, it just amazing i want to i want to cut my fingers and go back and do it now but that that was when the real bug for for getting involved set in and absolutely there there are anderson shows that i don't like i don't like joe 90 it's fairly well documented i think that i <laughs> i think joe is precocious and annoying i never found him likable i'm you know there are there, there there's an audience that love having a, a child access point character and there are others that prefer aspirational stuff. I, I, I want to, at that, at that time, I wanted to do what the adults were doing. I didn't want to do what a kid was doing, even if he was doing cool stuff, because he was still a kid. He was restricted in, in ways that kids are. 
Uh, he could still be grounded and sent to his room and told off and all that sort of stuff. I don't want that. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I kind of I love Space Precinct because I was there while it was happening and I it it was kind of in my blood by that. Yeah, point. you're connected to it emotionally. Yeah, yeah, and and that was the thing that was that sealed the deal that I never wanted to do anything else really. Oh, that's nice though. It's nice that you. You you had to endure the bad, the puppet walk. I never even <laughs> thought of that. Oh, all, always, always. And I I remember specifically there was a guy at my school, uh, uh, my secondary school, um, called Ben, and he had an older brother, Nick. And Nick uh, was kind of fond in a Mickey taking way of all the Anderson stuff. And if he saw me, and there was a teacher nearby he would grab the teacher and tell them to bow down to me because of dad's shows (laughs) (laughs) so thanks nick for doing that uh but that's the sort of thing that happened all the time and it's it's, you know sweet and funny in hindsight but there was definitely a bit of me that was like oh Uh, and you've got siblings as well so i'm guessing (coughs) well you got siblings sister siblings are from previous marriages so right dad, dad was married three times first First marriage, uh, there's two daughters from that marriage. Uh, second marriage is Sylvia. There's Jerry Jr. And then I'm the result of the third marriage. So there's right. big age gaps and, you know, geographical gaps and all sorts of stuff. So weirdly, I don't think any of them wanted to, to move into this area. So it, it was it was me or no one. That's what I was going to say. Was it of them? Was, was it kind of a fight to take over or was it, no, you do it. No, you do it. <laughs> wasn't it wasn't even that i mean they they all went off and followed their own path and uh it seems to be just me that showed any real interest in it but I, like i said you know i did i did go off and do other things for a while because dad was very keen that i i didn't do this because he had had such a rough time in the industry he said some some very rude things about people he'd worked with and how he didn't want me to endure the same but i think every parent does that if they've if they've progressed far enough in any industry you're going to come up against difficult people difficult situations and you maybe then think i don't want my kid to endure the same thing so i totally understand it but he he pushed me away for a little while but uh, you know i couldn't help but come back to it oh i think it's in good hands i mean it it's still a strong brand it's still like i say i I get i go on the website and have a look i'm doing a bit of research on some of the stuff you've done i get the email i still you know i still see I still keep getting Amazon telling me, oh, you didn't buy that Thunderbirds <laughs> Blu-ray box set. <laughs> and it's like most things. It's, that, it's that, that, that borderline of when you go back and watch a film that you remember as a kid, as an adult, and you suddenly go, that's not how I remembered it. Yeah, I'm sort of worried if I go back and... Because I've got two daughters at 10 and 11, and I've got two boys at 22 and 23. So... They kind of know it, but it was my my young my two daughters don't, and it's, I want them to watch it, but because they're girls, it's a very I think it's a very boyish program, very boyish program. More so, yeah, yeah. But it's just it's just lovable, and it's just nice to keep seeing. And now the podcast you do the podcast that. Uh, is at what I've been listening to recently with <laughs> who's, the, who's the guy that does it with you, Richard James. Richard, that's it. Yeah, and, who and I there's... met in Space Precinct days when he was playing a character on that, and you know when I was a you know precocious, annoying nine year old, a bit like Joe ninety, uh, <laughs> and all these years later, yeah, we we co host the Jerry Hansen podcast every week. <laughs> uh, do you go into London to record that then? No, no, we record, you know, like, he's, like we he's, are. he's at his place and I'm in my office generally. Sometimes we get together, um, 
We, I've seen yeah, a we... couple of live ones. I've watched a couple of you live. Oh. I think you did one like end of last year. Because I, I went we on and Christmas sent a little message. Live, yeah. And, yeah, that's it. No, he's. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, think so, I remember Dave. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a fun show though. But it's nice that you've added that to it because pod. You know, we're finding we decided to do a podcast two years ago, and each every day it's just there's another podcast, and now it's celebrities are doing podcasts. That it is, yeah, hard to. F- but I recommend if you're listening, if you listen to this episode, go and listen to the Jerry Anderson podcast. It's the Jerry Anderson podcast, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, it's great fun because it's Thanks, so. Dave. It's because there's a lot in the in the universe that you cover so many elements of it, but it is just fun to listen to. I, it wouldn't bother me if you just spoke about shoes. It's just <laughs> <laughs> right. There's the theme for the next episode. Thanks, yeah. David. We're looking for something. <laughs> Great shoes of Thunderbirds. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, before we go, there is there was one little bit that isn't your universe that I wanted to ask you about. That I'm sure um, the American audience will know is Team America. I thought we were going to avoid that. No, it has to be because I know I would get a ton of emails. People saying, "Why didn't you ask him about it?" What can you say? What would you want to say or talk about, Team America? Uh, well, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. I thought Team America was great, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but Team America has done one great disservice to everything Jerry Anderson. Um. Actually, maybe it's even two, but the the main thing it's done is it's it's made marionettes of figures of comedy forevermore. Okay. So you know, Captain Scarlet is incredibly serious with marionettes. Now mm. it's so serious, in fact, uh, that uh, one of the guys that uh, works for us, uh, Chris Dale, who is a fantastic historian and editor and does all sorts of stuff. Um, I, I highly recommend you go and look up what he's done, where he's taken the very serious Captain Scarlet and cut it up to make it funny. Uh, oh, really? Ca- yes, Colonel White's movie night is a great place to start. <laughs> um, but, you know, but all those shows were very serious and, you, and it, there was a believability to them. And, um, you know, you were worried about what might happen to these puppet characters. And puppetry yeah. is amazing for that. But Team America, yeah, has forever made them comedic because they... they um, exaggerated all of the shortcomings of a strong puppetry so that that was that has been a big problem and actually quite a lot of time when we're pitching more modern puppet shows where the puppets don't have those shortcomings there is still this feeling of yeah but team america yeah that's all that all people know and also a lot of people saw team america and had no idea of you know where it where where that style had come from so again a lot of them will see a clip of Thunderbirds, which, you know, predated Team America by 35, 40 years. Yeah. And they'll go, oh, yeah, this is like Team America. They've just ripped it off. Yeah, it's, it's the other way around, actually. So we're actually we're actually going to do a YouTube video quite soon, uh, uh, you know, to that Team America audience explaining. I thought it was great. Dad hated it. I bet uh, he did. He saw it. He didn't see it as any kind of homage or anything like that. He just saw it as a bit grim and offensive and I think he got up to uh, the vomiting scene which is quite early on yeah. really and, and then he turned off and that was it but um, Matt and Trey did try to contact him when they decided to go down this marionette route and um, uh, Dad didn't know about them he, he, he'd heard of South Park but he never watched it so he got uh, a DVD of South Park um, and when I came home from school one day, he was watching it, or from, maybe it was from university. But anyway, whatever it was, I, I came back and he was watching South Park, which is a weird thing to see, your dad watching South yeah. Park. <laughs> and he, he didn't understand it. He didn't like it, he didn't think it was funny. And so he just said, 
uh, in all good conscience, I can't speak to these two creators and be like, yeah, I love your stuff. It's great. Happy to advise. So he just just took a step back and, and wasn't involved. But there was an intention for him to have some kind of involvement. And I don't think they ever set out to offend. And I certainly don't find it offensive. But it has had some kind of negative consequences for Yeah, I can see that. I was going to say, probably um, the word I was that was in my mind thinking about the comparison was vulgarity. In the, <laughs> yes. that there is an element of, you know, I could just imagine your dad's face just sat in a chair with his eyes not even blinking, having watched a season of South Park back to back and yeah. not being emotionally <laughs> scarred and thinking, what the if I just watched <laughs> that was very and, much in fact uh when I went in he, he he said what is this I can't understand an effing word they're saying because <laughs> I, I think he, you know he's trying to listen to uh, Cartman speaking right uh, and that particular kind of nasal <laughs> throaty, yeah he just he couldn't even understand what was going on so um oh, yeah. it wasn't meant to be no I mean I Obviously, when it came out, I watched it, and it was funny. And it, like I say, it comes from two people that make that kind of humour. Um, I think what was more interesting is the fact that they, that this crew of people, had to master a mm. style of uh, filmmaking that nobody had touched it really in years. Yeah. That had come from what your dad had done. It was. Yeah. I know they they kind of like you say it's like Crossroads always used to be. The, the soap opera with the, with the shaky sets and then when you watch some of the um, Dawn French uh, not Dawn French um, oh who miss Two Soups Julie Walters Julie Walters when you watch some of those kind of things they sort of were paying homage but at the same time taking all the funny worst bits yeah. is yeah. I did wonder how the American audience would relate Team America to so if you are listening you have watched Team America put it to one side and just take it as a, as what it is. It's like a you know a Family Guy, <laughs> South Park, that kind of thing. Get, and go and watch Thunderbirds, and go and watch Captain Scarlet, yeah. and maybe watch the precocious Joe Ninety. Who now don't sh- watch that, Dave. Who, don't watch who that, these no. days would never be allowed to do that kind of work. <laughs> no, social services have something to exactly, say there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if people want to get an introduction to those shows, then uh, can I just plug the Jerry Anson YouTube channel? Do it. Go for it. So yeah, uh, youtube.com slash TV, and we've got a, a, a playlist there called Primers, which are basically five to ten minute introductions about all the shows, so you can get a little taste of them, see what they're like, see how they look, uh, and then you don't have to commit to watching a full episode or to buying a full box set, although obviously you should do both of those. You should, yeah. <laughs> Avail- available on, we- on what's the website address oh, yeah, for Everything the, Anderson? From the Jerry Anderson store, shop.jerryanderson.co.uk. Thanks, Dave. That's all right. Got to get all the plugs in. I, I mean, I, I, I would just love anybody that's never watched it, especially our American friends, because mm. you love the British accent anyway. And and there's some American accents in it. There's some. It, it's, it was such a, an eclectic mix of people and actors yeah. in the shows who who voiced a, a lot of the characters in those episodes. But it really is. A, like a nice little trip down memory lane but it, I, th- I think it's still timely saying mm. you know set in the future which is quite funny when we look at what we expected to see in 40 50 <laughs> years but if you've got young kids just get them to watch a few episodes like say go on the youtube channel and it's not that hard to be able to get any of the dvds or blu-rays yeah um i thoroughly recommend the thunderbirds vault book i'll put links to these in our show notes the super marionation book is great the DVD or the Blu-ray for the um, 
got it here. Filming Super Mario Nation, all this is Super Mario Nation. That's it, double back, to back double disc. Yep. Very good. Watch those. It's, the, it's fascinating because uh, Jamie is kind of the host of it, holds it all together in the interviews, the puppeteers, and the people, but you know, those that are still remaining who worked on it and they visit the locations, which I found fascinating as well. Yeah, it's a lovely when documentary, were, beautifully put together. It is. It's really, it really is. Even if you don't watch the episodes, watch it because it really is like one of those historical kind of walk down memory lane and when you go back to that it looked like a garage didn't it like a tire place where it was the well it is now yeah <laughs> yeah i mean these where little you... tiny warehouses where it was all made you wouldn't believe that these places were little dream factories because they they look like rope and little storage units really yeah so no it's very very cool stuff to go and have a look at and if you love design if you love that retro space sci-fi seriously go and look at as much anderson stuff as you can because it's i reference it so much in interviews when i talk about how i started that i want to obviously thank the anderson family for what they've done for that for that part of the industry for the work you're doing continuing it and uh and the stuff that's coming out of the of the uh, empire the empire, <laughs> Cheers, the empire. Dave. you call it that that's absolutely fine by me fab um, dave yeah <laughs> But no, thanks for your time, Jamie. I've really enjoyed it. I could I could talk to you about loads of stuff. But um, for this episode, I'm going to say thank you, Jamie Anderson. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We've, we've had a few bumps trying to get here, but I think it's absolutely been worth it. And uh, so I'll put a load of links to your stuff everywhere. And, um, and really, if you've, if you've got anything else you want to share or, or say before we go, say it now. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm very happy, Dave. We had a great chat. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, my pleasure, mate. Thanks very much, and uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Cheers. He Shoots, He Draws is sponsored by Westcott, a worldwide leader in lighting and light modifiers. Have you seen the new FJ400 strobe? This 400-watt-second strobe is an ACDC strobe that has the fastest recycle time among any 400-watt-second strobes at just 0.9 seconds at full power. With its fast recycle time, color consistency, and unique features, you can see why photographers are completely overhauling their lighting systems in favor of the FJ400. Pair this strobe with the first ever universal trigger for complete control using the same trigger across Canon, Sony, Nikon, Fuji, Panasonic, and Olympus camera systems. Yes, it really is a game changer. Come see the FJ400 at the Photography Show in Birmingham. March 14 through 17. For more information on the FJ400, visit fjwestcott.com backslash FJ400.